Welcome to Model Minority Moms, where we talk about the meaning of success in career, family, and life. We are Jeanette Park, Kate Wong, and Susan Liu, Harvard classmates and Asian American working moms who get real about the pressures of fitting in while standing out. Greetings, greetings. Welcome to another episode of Model Minority Moms. Today, we are going to be talking about something that nobody talks about enough. It's not researched enough. It is a thing that you think about when it happens and can't stop thinking about it until you resolve it and impacts half of the entire population. That's it. You know what I'm talking about? It's your period and stop. It is the thing that christened us into womanhood when we don't want it to. It's a thing that reminds us every month that we have to do a lot of internal work and something we have to manage gets in the way of our lives. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift and yet a burden. So we're going to be talking about our experience with our periods growing up and managing it through work and family and how we actually talk about it to our kids, which I'm super excited about because I have never talked to Art about it. And I'm curious. Let's go around. Pad or tampon? Well, why does it have to be or? Okay. So I'm learning something. Oxers are brave version for like women. And there's like other options too, right? There's menstrual clubs. I've actually never tried it. Also like those period underwear, right? That's also a thing Okay, now. you're telling me all the options. I want to know what you personally do. Uh, yeah, I do both. One's both. Both pads and tampons. Okay, no the thinks underwear, no diva cup. No, I think for me, it's like if I have something that seems to work, I just tend to stick with it, simplify things. And uh, yeah, that's what I do. What about you, Kate? I was curious about the period cup, but I've never actually used it. I actually started using period underwear a few years ago. Thinks that brand, yeah, yeah. one of the earlier brands. But I really, it's gross, but you just can't wear it like all the time unless you change it four or five times a day. And that gets very expensive because these things are like $20 each or something. So I basically use a combo. I use that instead of a liner and a tampon, I'll just wear like a tampon, but with a Thinks underwear. So if there's any leakage, it goes yeah. into the underwear. Yeah. And then at night I wear pads. Growing up, Oh God, I have a terrible story. It's in my memoir, but um, I got in my period when I was like 11, I guess. And I'm, I'm getting these crazy cramps. I think it's the end of the world, you know, water in the toilet. I'm concerned. I yell for my sister. She's just like, ah, she's freaking out. I hear my mom come home. Garage door opens. The Previa pulls into the garage. I make her get my mom. And then my mom says, Boon Gai which means, oh, I thought something happened. And she just like throws a pad at me and walks away. Oh. And uh, I was sad and I cried and I didn't know how to use it. Because like up until that point, I the sex ed education was like from a Mr. Nolan, the fifth grade teacher who taught math in the portables. You know, he didn't actually talk about the mechanics of anything. Like maybe there was a condom in a banana. I don't remember. But like no one is literally showing you how to use a pad. Right. And I was like so sad that this like moment of like womanhood was not special. But your sister hadn't had her period yet? She had, oh. but it was like we just didn't talk about it. Did you know what was happening or you were just like totally surprised? Oh my gosh, I'm dying. Yeah, I, it was first the dying part and that's when I want the reassurance. And then that's when I got the, oh, this is not a big deal for my mom. Okay. And then I think my sister was like, oh, you have your period. I was like, oh. And then that was it. Like it felt so like now you have the burden. Felt like it was my fault. It felt like there was no affirmation, support, comfort, you know? And then maybe I started like drinking Midol, you know, like, which is just Advil. 
marketed to teenagers and like thinking that was cool. And then that was it. And I, I, I don't know if it's an Asian thing, but I was never introduced to tampons. It was like all the white girls, especially the sports athletes, would um, use tampons. But I, we only had always the mint green pads from Costco. And I don't know if it's because people like prudish and they feel like a tampon like is like a penis like it's sexual i'm not sure what it is but only had pads in the house i remember hearing at the time that some people thought it, it like very ignorantly some older chinese ladies thought that if you hadn't had sex yet it would break your hymen or something this is what i had heard back in the day so i actually also only bought tampons like secretly by myself because my mom didn't use them and i had to teach my it's Okay, can it everybody, like, how did you learn how to use a tampon if nobody taught you? Oh, yeah. And I don't think Pretty I started awkward. using a tampon until later in high school. I thought you it know? was, like, hurting. I don't know how to use, like, it's so awkward. There are no YouTube tutorials at the time. Well, the there's YouTube. that weird diagram that comes oh, yeah, yeah, with yeah. that. But it's very incomprehensible because it's, like, a cutaway. Right. Yes. So it just looks like this weird-shaped pear, and you just don't know where it's, you know, I mean, you kind of know, but it's, like, I'm, you're kind of like, am I putting it in right? It feels like it's just going to fall out. Uh, actually, my mom did wear tampons because I remember seeing it in her bathroom, but she never talked to me about it. I don't have any recollection of her telling me like, okay, this is going to, this could happen. I don't remember having an interaction with her with that negative tone necessarily, but I also don't remember like any conversation I do remember my mom at some point, maybe around the time it was like nine or 10, my mom bought this book from Costco called It's a Girl Thing. And I still remember the book. It was kind of like eight by eight and paperback with a glossy cover. And I just remember her coming home from Costco one day and just giving me this book. And it talked about periods. And I don't even know if it talked about sex or other things related to your genitals or anything. But like, I do remember that gave me some basics of what to expect. But yes, no, no talk. Um, I remember when I first got my period, it was very painful. Like I had really bad cramps and just kind of lying down in a fetal position for a long time. And I think maybe my mom gave me a hot pack or something, but my mom in particular is also like very conservative on medicine. She just doesn't take a lot of medication for a lot of things. And so there was like an implicit, I can't remember if it was implicit or explicit, but I didn't take any pain medication for my period at all, probably until I was like in my mid to late 20s. And even now, I still just don't, I, and, and my cramps have gotten a lot better and more manageable, but like I usually just don't take a lot for my period, like any kind of pain associated with my period. Just This is so sad. It's such a big change in your life. It's so physically personal. Yet we had to find information from our peers or resources, like a book from Costco, instead of like one who's already experienced it for a while to just tell you what is going on. This is so sad. Well, what, I don't know, man. We haven't heard Kate's story, though. Like, Kate, what? tell me it was really nice. I mean, I think it was it was just probably the generic story. I didn't get my opinion until it was really late, like 17. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like 16 or 17. I think my mom, too. She Maybe it's like something in the family, but she didn't get hers until she was 16. I think I was almost 17. Not quite 17 yet. I think it was like April or March. So I turned 17 that May. 
What I'm hearing is you enjoyed your youth a little longer than I did. Yes, okay. I did. But as a result, I think I knew maybe more about it than you, Susan, going in because I think most of our compatriots were already getting their period by the time mine came around. So even though my mom didn't really say much, I think maybe one time she mentioned, she's like, oh, at some point it'll happen. And then I also got a few more years of sex ed than you did, Susan. So I think like from that perspective, I knew a little bit more about what was coming. But it was still very awkward. I remember when I got my period, I knew what it was, but I felt so awkward telling my mom. And I think that's so interesting because it just meant that my mom and I didn't, there wasn't a comfort level talking about certain things, right? So I did tell her, I was just like stuttering and muttering and it took me a long time to get it out. It's almost as if I was telling her I got an F in school, <laughs> but it was like instead of my period. Anyway, no, my mom was fine. She was very matter of fact about it. She was like, okay, well, we can go by this, that. It was fine, but I, I think psychologically it felt uncomfortable for me to tell her. And then of course I wanted to try tampons. I don't like having a giant pad. You know, having a like, giant pad on your heavy days it just feels like you're waddling around in a diaper, right? Yeah. So I wanted to try tampons, but I knew my mom didn't use tampons. And so I just went to the store and bought them myself without telling her. It was really awkward. I tried to figure out how to put one in. That's why I asked you guys, like, how was it that first time? So I don't know. The whole experience wasn't super unpleasant, but it also didn't feel, it just felt very secretive slash I couldn't relate to my mother on something that's a pretty universal feminine experience, right? And I think about that a lot. I will go into it later. But when I think about it for my kids in the distant future, but it was just like an awkward thing. I tell you, I remember the seventh grade award ceremony at the end of the school year. I got called up for some award. And right when I stood up, I was like, F, F. And then I touched the outside of my skirt or dress. And I was like, F. Even to this day, and for different reasons, because I've had an IUD for like two decades. But to this day, I don't track my periods. I didn't track it on a calendar. I didn't know when to expect it. And so in seventh grade, okay, maybe I've had my period for like two years at that point. Just happened at the ceremony. And I was walking all the way up to the stage to get my award. And I was like, everyone can see my period. It was just devastating. Especially, you know, like heavier flow days and you're wearing like lighter colored jeans or whatever. Then you have to put a sweater on your butt, tie it and just manage that at school. Like you don't have extra underwear or you had to pay for pads. It was so embarrassing to even put the quarter in the slot or you have to go to the nurse office. And the ones they have in the nurse office are like two inches thick. <laughs> such a burden. I saw it such a burden and it. It was just a very difficult time to have a period. And what I didn't realize was that I, I got an IUD, I think, like when I was like 17 or 18. And then I didn't have periods anymore. And so I technically haven't really had a period for like two decades. And that has been life changing, actually, because I always felt really bad about trash, like sending pads to the landfill. Yeah. yeah. And so I've always been cup curious. I've watched so many people, women talk about their cup. I love the eco part of that. I still can't really imagine me doing it or what that feels like. Even using tampons, like I use the, it was like jewel color, jewel tones or whatever. There's like an applicator where you okay. push it in. Yeah. I wish someone would just tell me like, if you're nervous about it, your body's going to dry up and it's going to hurt even more. You know, I had to relax and breathe and like coach myself to use it. Like especially when I was playing sports and I had these heavier days. It didn't matter how many pads I had. Everything was just kind of like spilling out, even if I use the heavy ones or I go to sleep. And it was just like all over. And it was like a teenager version of like peeing in your bed. You know, when you wake up and you're like in your blood. Yeah. There was no part of the period that felt like celebration. You know, of like, wow, like I'm 
happened out. And my later adult life, this past summer, I went to this thing called a Women's Summer Solstice Gathering. And I saw... It's an Earth Mother, I think. No, yeah, but that's a different... Sound. You make it sound like, oh, I went to this conference or something. It's like bare feet women wandering through the Seattle woods with flowers in their hair. No, wait, that's a different event I go to. <laughs> yeah, this one's called Women's Summer Solstice Gathering. And they do this whole tradition where they talk about being a young girl, getting your period, celebrating that and like going through the stages of your moon cycle and through the stages of life of womanhood. And these little girls who are aged zero to 10 in these fairy costumes get to watch a different type of story around that, around yeah. something that makes us really unique. If you attend that summer and that year you had your period, you wear a white cloak, you walk around in the circle and then you flip the cloak inside out and it turns red. Then you sleep in the moon lodge that night. And in the morning, all the women stand outside the moon lodge and sing you awake. There's like a different rite of passage. And what I'm trying to propose is an alternative to the silence and shame that we've experienced. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm putting out there. And yes, those are two distinct events that I go to. But just saying like in our society, it's this thing that women just have to carry and deal with. And then guys are like, oh, gross, you're on your period. I'm not going to have sex with you. Gross. You know, and, and that's its own thing. But it's this thing that women have to manage in secret. And I just really like this alternative way of telling the story of womanhood is all I'm saying. Yeah, no, I think it's from what you're saying. It's awesome. very nice and kind of beautiful. If I think about it for Ruth, that's closer to what I would want her experience to be, right? We can get to our kids later, but I think that the whole kind of shame and silence around periods is like, it's fairly universal. I follow this Instagram account called Stories of Nepal because like my extended family has some connections there. So I ended up following this account and they talk to everyday Nepali people and post their stories. And they had this whole series on women and girls who are on their periods in a lot of the more kind of traditional parts of Nepal and villages. Sometimes the women actually cannot sleep in their normal house during their periods. They actually have to go sleep like in a dedicated hut, like a cottage or like a hut in their village which is often of a significantly lower quality than the house that other people sleep in. You know, it's typically not heated. Maybe it's like a mud floor or there's pests in there. It's just like this whole idea of it's shameful, it's dirty, it's like you should be isolated. I feel like that's fairly prevalent. It's not just an American thing. It's not even just an East Asian thing. So and the community turns you into livestock. Well, and the irony is that then on the flip side of you, periods being dirty is that obviously the patriarchy didn't connect it with, oh, you really need this to perpetuate the human race. So women were on one hand treated like pariahs when they had their period, but somehow. Yeah, you want to grow your army, right? Yeah. No, no, I think you're right. Jeanette's right. It happened in many cultures. Like I was just, as a random aside, Raya's really into Pocahontas, the movie. And I know it was made in the 90s, so it's like very not politically correct these days. So I was just reading up on real academic history of Pocahontas and her tribe. And same thing there is that in your time of month, like the women would go to a different place, but it didn't seem like it was like a subpar place. So it seemed like it was a really nice place. Right. And so I feel like there are also cultures that generally that have been oppressed that actually elevated women more in this way, like during their period. Right. Sorry, if, if there are any Native American experts out there, you can tell me that I maybe misread. But it just seemed like from when I was reading about it, I was like, oh, it doesn't seem like there was a negative aspect about it. So anyway, I'm can we also talk about how yes. you guys remember sex ed when we were kids, like I felt like the prevalent line was every month, a cycle is 28 days. And then you will have like 
your period on this day and then it will last for five days and then blah, 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 blah. And it seems so regulated and just a cycle is 28 days and that's what you expect. But I think the reality is, is that many women don't actually have 28 day cycles. And in fact, many, many women have very dysregulated periods. So I did. Right? First, I mean, I had my period when I was older, but also because I had an eating disorder, I lost my period. I was amenorrheic or I had amenorrhea, which is the technical term for when you stop having your period for many months. I've never had a regular period. My cycles back when I was tracking them, when I was trying to get pregnant, ranged anywhere from 39 to 78 days. If I was sick, it would be up to 70. Yeah. Yeah. There was a 78 day period where I didn't get my period because my body, this has to do more Eastern medicine. I don't have a very good constitution basically is what it is. But anyway, my point is that I think when I talked to a lot of women who really struggled with this idea of the 28 day period, because they didn't have that. And back in the day when we were in high school, the treatment for me losing my period was putting me on birth control as a 17 year old right? The pediatrician was like, let's put you on birth control. So many women I've met were treated the same way if they had irregular periods as teenagers. Just the doctor just put them on birth control, didn't explain anything, didn't try to address what was the, the root of them not having regular periods, which for me was I had a freaking eating disorder, right? Yeah. Like when you have an right. eating disorder, anorexia, yeah. your body doesn't have the resources to be able to go through that cycle. No one explained that to me. This is not like an Asian thing anymore. This is like a you know, at the time and still, I think the medical establishment is very male dominated, very conservative. So for many years, me and a lot of other women just kept taking birth control pills, not knowing what was actually causing our lack of a regular cycle. And that's relevant because when you want to get pregnant, many women who have irregular cycles, they have a difficult time getting pregnant because of the underlying issues behind their irregular cycles. My, I have PCOS, which is very, very common. I think one in eight or 10 women have PCOS, right? What does that stand for? It's uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it's basically hard to explain. The criteria have really changed, but traditionally it's been basically you have these like big cysts that grow on your ovaries and it's characterized by you don't have a regular period. You have more signs of like androgyny, which I don't. I have like atypical PCOS. But anyway, all this to say that I feel like we also on an institutional societal level and we're like grossly misinformed about how important it is to address the root cause of irregularities in our cycles. Hey, I got two follow up questions. One, yeah. when you were prescribed the birth control, did it ever make anything regular or no? Yeah, I mean, I, I had a yeah, I had a period. It's like a fake period every month. You, you take the pills and then on the fourth week you have your period. But it's not a real period in the sense that you would have if you weren't on birth control. So the pill pack is like mimics the traditional 28 day cycle, right? So it's four weeks of pills. The first three pills are like hormonal and the fourth pill is in a fourth week. It's not active, right? So that bleeding is not a period. It's called withdrawal bleeding. What happens to your body when there are no hormones? Like yeah. you have hormones the first three weeks and then the fourth week you have no hormones. I've met so many women, including me, who thought it was mimicking a real cycle. A real cycle is when you ovulate and then if you don't become pregnant, your uterus sheds the uterine lining and that's the bleeding that you get, right? That's not what happens on birth control. But so many women, intelligent Harvard women, including myself, we were not educated about that. And you could be like, oh, why didn't you Google? I don't know. You just didn't think. I mean, we weren't really taught to think a lot about it. They just, oh, okay. You just assume stuff, right? And I kid you not, a friend who's 37 years old, when I told her, I was like, you do know that your birth control pill, it's not like you having your cycle and having a menstrual period, right? And she didn't know that. She'd been on birth control for over 20 years. No one had ever told her that. Okay, I'm that 38-year-old does not know that. But you shouldn't feel ashamed because I didn't find out until I was like 30 as well. When I was trying, basically, I was like, oh, maybe I should look into, you know, da, da, da. 
yeah, let, let's just sit with that for a minute, right? Or 10 seconds or whatever. Oh, I don't even understand what's going on. I feel like, oh my God, right now I'm on a pill. I've had an IED for a long time. And then I'm also on the pill because last December my ovarian cyst burst and I went to the ER and then I went to the ER again and to prevent me from going to the ER and having these like terrible pain things that happen in my body where I can't sit or stand, my OB was like, oh, just also take the pill. And then I was like, okay. And then there are some times of the month where I am on the floor just like feeling incompetent. And I recently talked to Jeanette about it. And Jeanette's like, well, are you on the monophasic or the multiphasic control? I was like, what phasic? Like, I didn't even know what she was talking about. And then I scheduled an appointment with my OB and we just talked about it. And like, we're trying to change it up so that I don't have so many hormones pumping in my body. But I'm kind of also like, I don't even know what life would be like without these hormones. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if it's better or worse. Yeah. Maybe we can just talk about the experience of like going through the cycle, because I will say that there is a very distinct mood change for me as I go through my menstrual cycle. So basically like, Week after period, I'm feeling pretty good. Week two, I'm feeling pretty good. Week three, I'm feeling pretty bad. Kind of like the physical symptoms. Maybe I get more cramping and I just feel more tired. Maybe I'm craving more sweets. But emotionally, I also, I mean, I'm just going to say it, okay? I feel more moody. I feel more cranky. And the reason I feel hesitant about saying that is because I feel like in American society, when women are angry, sometimes it's just brushed off as, oh, you're just on your period. And so on one hand, I don't want to perpetuate that kind of idea that women don't have a legitimate reason to be angry, that we're just angry because we're on our period or about to have our period. But I will say that, at least for me, and I think for many, it's not most women, your menstrual cycles do affect your mood, right? But I think the way to reconcile those things is um, <laughs> what I've often told Jake is that the things that I get upset about when I'm going through that PMS stage of my menstrual cycle, it's, I'm not getting mad about things that I'm making up. You know what I mean? I'm usually getting mad about things that were legitimately bothering me always, but because I am physically uncomfortable right now, I just have a shorter fuse about showing my dissatisfaction. So I think that's just something I want to put out there because you shouldn't just tell a woman like, oh, you're just mad. You're just being bitchy because you're on your period or you're PMSing or whatever, right? It's that time of the month again. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I don't feel like that's a legitimate comeback to uh, a woman who is getting worked up over something, right? Because... At least in my experience, it's not that you're like fucking hallucinating during your PMS, right? And making up shit. It's usually that these things were always there, but you just have less capacity to smooth over them. So anyway, I still experience it. I've been on birth control apart from the times I was trying to get pregnant pretty much for the last 20 years. And I'm just on the traditional pill. I'm not on an ID or that injectable or anything like that. I haven't taken any psychiatric drugs, but like the pill has a psychiatric effect on me, I feel. Because I, I do think that it levels out my hormones more. And so I tend to have less of the up and down swings that I experienced prior to being on the pill or the times that I took a break because we were trying to get pregnant. That's a, a little bit of the aspect of my experience of having my period from my early 20s till my mid-30s. And people experience these aspects of the period very differently, right? When you were talking about, Jeanette, just your mood 
during your cycle is you basically having a shorter fuse. For me, there's that aspect, but there's also an aspect of like sometimes this past week when I had my cycle back for the first time in two and a half years, because I was pregnant in the nursing before that, I felt like I, I texted you guys. I felt like rage, like the hormones coursing through me. The only other time I've experienced this was the first few days postpartum after you bring your baby home and like your milk is coming in and you just, there's that hormonal roller coaster and you like cry and you scream at people, which I've done both times postpartum. That, it was not quite to that level, but I could feel. Like, I don't know if you guys ever feel this. Now that I know what it, the feeling is like, because I've been gone through it a few times, I know when it's the hormones coursing through me. I was so mad the morning I texted you guys because everything was about my kids was setting me off. It was like a normal day, but I just wanted to get them out the fucking door. I was like, because Nair was taking them like out the door and it was like taking a while because two kids or whatever. And I was just like so enraged. She was like, why don't you just go downstairs to a quiet place? Wait, 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 wait. You're so enraged that when you rage on this platform, the sound actually gets muffled out. So, Oh, really? Oh my god! I don't even know what your rage is. I you... wonder if that's like a Zoom feature. When the decibel gets like above a certain <laughs> level, it just like mutes it. Uh, okay. Um, can you take that 10 rage and move it down to a five just so I can hear the words of your rage? Oh, like what I said, as it just get out the fucking door. Is that better? Yeah, yeah that was great. Yeah. That was great. I mean, I didn't say that because my kids were there, but like my mind was screaming that. I just wanted to get rid of them. It was almost like your whole body, you know, when you, your whole body gets itchy, when you have an allergic reaction, you just like can't handle it. Yeah. Like that, but like emotional for me. Yeah, totally. Uh, for me, when it's that time of the month, which is always a surprise to me, I've tried apps, ladies. I've tried apps. It's tracker apps feels, I don't know what it is with me managing that type of information, but it's hard for me. I can't even be consistent with these apps to know when my period is coming. But what happens to me is I don't feel rage, but I feel small. And I start to feel like my grasp on my reality and my ability to feel competent just like slipping away from me. Like I just see it just pulling away and I'm like trying to grasp it and it's just pulling away. I just can't do anything. And I become very overwhelmed. I think it's very intense for about a day and a half and then it kind of tapers off. But when that happens... I pull Marvin in the side and I just kind of putter around the house. And then I just go like, I need help. Things are hard. I feel sad. That's when you know it's not good for me is when my sentences are only three words long. You know, like that's all I've got to say. And then I just kind of lie down on the couch and then I just say I need help. And that's when he knows that I'm not super type A mom doing all the things anymore. Like I just can't. I just can't do it. And then my kid will come up to me and just want stuff, whatever. And I, I just feeling of I'm telling you that competency it just pulls away and like I see it and I just can't so that's kind of what happened to me and then I just feel like everything's too much and like oh my god email inbox I can't look at it it just feels like too much and it feels like forever and it feels like the truth of my life and that I can't get out of it and that I'm stuck and every time I believe that I can't get out of it and then eventually I do but yeah Marvin sees that Every month just happens. I don't know. So anyways, I talked to my OB about like how else to change up the hormones and make sure I'm not being over hormone, but how I can like be consistent, whatever. But that's my reaction every month, which is really hard. And I really feel like I need to be more proactive about 
marking when these days happen. So I don't schedule events and meetings on these days because I'm just not really my 100% self. I feel like on Instagram, people are, there's some kind of movement around like tracking and not work on those days, but I'm so bad at tracking. I do have a question though. So like you are still on IUDs, have been for a long time. So like in that period when you didn't have periods because you were on the IUD, you, did you still feel like you experienced these ups and downs like on a regular basis? Yeah, but it gets really bad like three or four times a year where I feel like, oh, God, I don't know if that goes with the big, big moon cycle. Now I think about Jeanette, when I was on the birth control pill, I didn't feel like the rage coursing through like I did this past week when obviously I was on nothing. But it's hard to tell because I feel like I was anxious and depressed for some of that time. I had an IUD for a year or so, but I that's a whole nother story. I took it out. Wait, can you explain this to me, Kate? Because I don't understand the mechanics. You were still nursing your kiddo. And is it your body naturally stops? Like maybe when it's just like... So very good question. I see what you're asking, Susan. I'm putting on my teacher, Miss Kate voice. So every woman's cycle and their body is different, right? So I've heard that some women will get their cycle back like a couple months after they have a baby, even if they are breastfeeding, right? That's fairly unusual from what I hear and also what my OB tells me. What they typically tell you, your OB, I don't know if this is what your OBs told you, but what my OBs have always told me is that for the first six months after you have your baby, if you are exclusively pumping or breastfeeding, nursing, with no like, you know, and you produce enough for your baby that acts as a natural contraceptive. So you don't have to take. (laughs) Tell all the men I can't get pregnant. Or I think we should just say maybe it's a damper on your like fertility, basically, right? But it's not as effective. Correct. It's not foolproof. Exactly. They do offer you the option of going on birth control like six weeks after, whenever you get your first exam after you have your baby. But you know, right? but you know what's natural birth control during that period? Exhaustion. <laughs> You're right, right. Like you want to do that and you're dry. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, I've seen many memes about this. Among my friends, I know that some people gradually, especially as your baby starts solid. The reason why they say around six months is usually around six months is when pediatricians recommend babies start solids. Therefore, when your baby is starting solids, they are no longer exclusively drinking your breast milk, right? That's a theory behind that. Obviously, every baby is different. Every body is different. Really, I don't think that's a great hard and fast rule. And I'm sure some people have been like, I won't get pregnant. I'm nursing. I have great supply. And then, oops. I've heard of that as well, right? They accidentally get pregnant three months postpartum. Susan's just like, who wants to have sex three months postpartum? But anyway, because they thought they weren't going to get their period. Anything can happen, right? I think for me, knowing my body, the first time around, I didn't get my cycle back until I completely stopped pumping until a month after. So I finished pumping for the month following that. Nothing happened. Maybe five weeks later, I got my first period. So I assumed that the second time around, I wouldn't get my period back until I just finished nursing. I'm still nursing Leela like a couple times a day, but there's not that much there. So I was very surprised when I got my period back a week ago, basically today. I was like, what? But then it made sense because I had been very angry feeling all the time a few days before that. So yes, that's at least how it applies to me. Everybody's body is different, right? So yes, don't take any of this as medical advice, people. Please consult your OB guide before before you decide what to do for your contraceptive. I remember, so I, I was basically on IUD for about maybe 15, 18 years. They run it, I think there's like types, one in seven year cycles and one five year cycles that you switch them out or something. I don't know. Clearly I'm not, I don't pay that much attention. I just put it in my calendar when I need to swap them out. 
So I pulled out my IUD after I premiered my show, 140 Pounds, How Beauty Kill My Mother. I was like, okay, after that, I feel like I'm not a coward in my life anymore. I'm ready to get pregnant. Took out the IUD. And then I don't know if it was you, Kate, that told me about the urine strips. Was it you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. OPKB, ovulation predictor kits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like for me, I was sitting there going like, oh my God, I haven't had my period in like more than a decade. I have no idea how to even start tracking my cycle again. I'll just buy these urine strips that Kate told me about off Amazon. And I've just tracked my period. I'm just going to pee on these strips every day so that at least I'll have more information. And I just tracked it, I think, one or two sides, like maybe 60 days, right? Where I was like, oh, here it is. I guess this is the moment, you know? And then I um, started sending hus my husband, Marvin, calendar invites. <laughs> and, and that was it. And we got pregnant, like, after the first or second try of gathering more information. I mean, for us, that transition was easy. But I think, like, I don't know, 35 at the time. And I think my ghost mother was like, you need to have a baby. You know, It just needed to happen. But I think we had the kiddo and then I was pumping for like three months. And I said, I hate my life. We're going to formula. And then I think my period came back and then I was like, okay, definitely don't want another child. And then I stuck my IUD back in and that was the end of it. I don't know. I, I didn't really have this rage thing besides just like an ongoing rage of parenthood in general. I can't even see the difference. So that was my experience. I don't even remember. I think it was like similar to yours, Kate, where at some point after that nursing tapered down, my period came back. And what did we do? We used other contraceptives because while you're breastfeeding, I think there's some issue with taking traditional birth control on both your nursing supply, but also I can't remember, but maybe also on whatever might pass through your breast milk. So there's progestin only birth control pills, but they're fairly finicky. You have to take them at the same time, exactly the same time every day, or they don't work. So I just decided I'll just wait until we're completely done with nursing. And then I'll just go back to the regular birth control pills that I've been on. So yeah, it's still a huge pain. I just carry around pads and tampons and just remembering when your period's going to come and then dealing with all of that. And yeah, especially when you're running around after kids, it's the last thing you really need is to worry about your pad overflowing and when you need to change it and blah, blah, blah. I feel like my ob was like pushing the IUD pretty hard on me, but uh, I ultimately decided not to get it because like I said, I'm like kind of conservative on the medical intervention stuff. And I also had a friend who got an IUD put in, it perforated her uterus. It's not a major surgery, but she had to have a surgery under anesthesia to get it out. And so for me, it's just kind of like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I'm just sticking with what I did for like 10 years prior to uh, trying to get pregnant. But yeah, I feel like I also know very little about what the future holds because maybe we don't want to talk about it, but the next stop is kind of like menopause, right? All the, yeah, we should talk about it. In fact, we should maybe bring my best friend on here to talk about it because for a while, all she and I talked about work-wise for her was about menopause because she was going to do a startup working on products focused on menopause. And during her research, she found that a lot of women experience perimenopausal symptoms in their late 30s right after like they have their first kid or as they're even maybe trying to have a second kid. And it's very confusing because it's the same kind of taboo. Nobody wants to talk about menopause. People think that you only get menopause when you're like 60, but really it's actually much more common than not that women as early as they're in late 30s start experiencing it. So we could do this. We could save this for a whole nother episode, I think. But yes, menopause is next. 
I want to rewind a little bit, though, when we were talking about earlier, just issues with cycles. One book I highly, highly recommend for any listeners out there who have irregular cycles like I do is the Period Repair Manual. I was just thinking of it. I think actually it's a must read for any woman who has a period, even if they're not having their period because they're on birth control. Because I read it when I was like reading about fertility and trying to address like my irregular cycles. And I realized there's so much non-Western medical wisdom around periods that we never get told by our OB-GYNs. We never get told by obviously our parents. We never got told by health, like sex ed or any kind of health education. And it's just, and it goes into also how potentially there are natural treatments for regulating your hormones and your period. And so for anybody who has irregular periods or is thinking about trying to have a baby, but maybe you're like concerned because you haven't had your period for a long time, we'll link it or something in our, our notes. But I really recommend that. And I think women should really stop relying on the medical establishment and their families and whatever else to educate themselves about their cycle. I think they need to go out and like read these. Books. Okay, that's just like so much work, Kate. Like, what are the top three tips? Like, is no, it I can't like- tell you the top three tips. You have to go read it. That's Why? the problem. That's the thing, Susan. You cannot because you can't like a Cliff's Notes your body in this way. I know, Sorry. but if it's like, oh, you know, the moon cycle. No tea. No, it's not about like you drink then this specific tea. You have, to, <laughs> you have to kind of understand. Basically, it identifies issues with your potential cycle. For example, if it's too long or you have these kinds of symptoms, then it tells you here are things that you can try to address that. And instead of just slapping birth control on it, which is what Western doctors do, right? I'm just saying, and anybody who knows me knows that I, unlike Susan, I do not attend Earth Mother Circles. Nothing, not that there's anything wrong with the Earth Mother Circles, but I'm generally less of an Earth Mothery person. When I really recommend this thing that sounds kind of earth mothery, it's really legit. Okay, not saying anything that you do is not legit, Susan. I'm just saying. Ooh, we're learning that, some like, spicy information today. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just, I, I just. Anyway, just everybody, just, just stop questioning me. Just don't read the book. I'm not. I was just like, I know myself. I'm not going to read it. Anyways, okay. Audiobook. Uh, audiobook. Audiobook. Okay. All right. So I want to shift the conversation a little bit now to the here and now with your kids and how they interact with your periods. Like they see your supplies your, or is it in like a dark cabinet and like they, they've never seen it or have they seen it and asked you what that is? Like, how do you talk about oh, yeah. your period with your kids? Well, in our pre-recording chat, chit chat, I was kind of surprised that you guys were saying that your kids haven't seen your like blood. Maybe because if you're like not getting your period, that's probably one reason. But I, I mean, if I am out and I have to go to the bathroom, I usually pull my kids into the stall. They're in the stall with me. And then if I happen to be on my period, they see my pad or whatever. And yeah, we have the whole, including my son, both my son and my daughter. And they know that this thing exists, right? Like where if you're a grown up girl, then it happens on a regular basis that your body makes extra blood. Uh, in case there's a baby inside your body. And if there's no baby, then the, your body lets that blood out. It's not the same thing as getting an ouchie. Mommy doesn't have an ouchie. And you wear pads. I haven't told them about tampons. You wear pads to catch the blood. And they're like, oh, is that a little diaper? And I'm like, yeah, it's basically like a little diaper to catch the blood that's coming out. So yeah, that's basically the interaction I have with my kids about that. My stance is generally, I feel like the fact that half the population has periods and it's just a part of being like a healthy woman 
it should be more normalized. So you're talking about in case there's a baby in your body, is there always a follow-up question every month? Like, mommy, do you have a baby in your body? No, they they don't ask me that. Yeah, they. I pretty much told them, like, I think mommy and daddy are done. Like, it's just going to be you guys. And so, no, they don't ask me. Two and done. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think that's awesome. How about you, Kate? Like, your daughters, have you even had the talk? Or it's like, seriously, Uh, they're too young? No, it's not even that. I think it's just lack of opportunity. Because if you think about it, I got my period back when Mariah was maybe, like, 14 months. And then we knew we wanted to have another kid soon because of some of my health conditions. So... I maybe had two or three cycles. And remember, mine are spaced very far apart. And so I don't think I intentionally was hiding anything from her. And then, of course, once I got pregnant, I wasn't having cycles. So now this is just the first time. I haven't really thought about how to explain it to them. I'm not trying to hide it from them. They can always access my pads because they're in my cabinet or whatever. I think what I'll do is if they see it, they ask it, I'll explain. But I don't know if I'm going to like voluntarily. If you want to bring the girls to summer solstice, you can see the whole thing played out in a musical form. Yeah, invite me next year. Invite me next year. It's really cool. Yeah, but what Nerev did tell them last week because I was very, I don't know. Do you guys remember the first period you had back after you had your kid? I, I feel like since I didn't have one for two and a half years, my mess- memory, I forgot how uncomfortable it is. It felt like the life force was being drained literally from my body. Like I had to cancel my workout session with my trainer. I couldn't do anything last week. I just felt weak the whole week. And so Nerev told the kids, he, he just said, he's, oh, mommy's not feeling well. She's feeling sick. But I guess next time we should just tell them mommy's on her cycle. And then we can explain what that is. And I feel torn about it because I, I think on the other hand, it's like, do you want them to associate being on your period with being like incapacitated. <laughs> I mean, that is a part of it. But I think it is related to this whole tension that we feel, right? It's, oh, it is just a fact that this is a part of our life. It does have a non-trivial impact on our emotional life, on our level of energy. But at the same time, in certain spheres, we want other people to treat us like it's not there. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? So I feel like it's one of these things that's just very contradictory about being the quote-unquote modern woman. We don't want to be discriminated against, basically, because we have this thing. And we don't want that to become an excuse of why people put certain labels on us. But it is also true that this does happen and it is just a part of life, right? And so I feel like it is one of these things that it feels very contradictory, like where we are as a society about women and women in various spheres of life. Does that make sense at all? It's so cool and not so cool to be a woman. Like it's so hard, but we like can do so many great things. I think on one hand, I want Ruth for it to not be a surprise and for her to feel celebrated in this new stage of life. And for also, at least with me, it's that I understand and can be a source of comfort for her in the kind of inconveniences, the discomfort and the pain of having your period and just being part of your life. But I don't know, do I just really want her to then associate it with, you know, like a day every month when she's under capacity? I don't know, does this sound terrible? Or for her brother to associate that with women, right? I couldn't say any of these things if I was like in a work setting. Oh, no. But see, I really love the imagery of your mother giving you a heat pack, acknowledging the pain is there, take care of the pain. And please, if you need to take Advil or whatever, like it's going to exist. And I think denying it or hiding it or not taking care of it, addressing it is just like terrible, right? Like we have to address it. 
And, and I love what you're saying around just like normalizing it, right? I think there's also a lot of nuance there in that I don't think pain in, is necessarily always bad. And there are also gradations of pain. Like, I think that's why understanding how this works and what ways you can do to alleviate or address the cycle in a natural way is really important because I think part of the narrative is that we're taught, at least our generation has taught that, okay, women have periods, you suffer, you deal with it. You just grit your teeth and get through it, right? Whereas I think the approach I would take my daughters is this is what happens to you because we're women. It's, I think approach it also from a biological perspective. I think it makes sense in the larger context of who we are as a human species. Obviously, they're too young to understand that now, but eventually, right? And then say that, yeah, it's uncomfortable, but I also want to know that I can support them through it. And also I want them to be educated on what is normal and what is not, because I wasn't. I don't think this current hormonal rage is normal. I think it may be related to me getting my period back for the first time in a two and a half years, but I also have PCOS, right? And I have a form of PCOS that is associated with higher rates of mood disorders and a lot of hormonal swings. I don't think it's mutually exclusive to acknowledge that I have a lot of pain during my period. But also I want to acknowledge that this is not normal and that I want to feel empowered to be able to deal with that. I mean, our generation, I don't think a lot of us were taught that. No. Just suck it up. Yeah. I remember, sorry, this is one story that comes to mind while we're having this conversation is a couple of years ago, I read about this uh, professor at MIT, brilliant woman who's a biologist or some kind of like medical researcher. And she had a lot of issues related to her reproductive health. So ultimately, she was diagnosed with endometriosis, which means the way your uterine lining grows is abnormal. And it also causes a lot of pain and very, very heavy breathing during your menstrual cycles. But she's older than us, probably 20 years older. And basically growing up, she was just told, suck it up, just take more Advil. And she went through multiple surgeries to try to address it. I think she was like misdiagnosed many times. And I think that she ultimately maybe had a hysterectomy, which means removing your entire uterus which I think is not an uncommon outcome for people with endometriosis. And the article was about how she started making endometriosis like the topic of her research, but how she didn't feel comfortable doing that basically until her late 40s, even though she was like so fucking brilliant. She felt like it wasn't considered a quote unquote serious topic and she had trouble getting funding for it. And, and like a lot of her colleagues just brushed it off or didn't think it was a legitimate topic for study. Even though endometriosis is like, it's very serious, it's very life altering and it affects a lot of women. And bringing up that story because it illustrates some of the struggles that I think we face in that we experience all the things that go with being a woman and having a menstrual cycle, but how that is not really viewed as legitimate by society at large, right? And even though it affects so many people, it's pretty serious and it leads to pretty major medical interventions. This person who in many ways was at like the pinnacle of her field didn't feel like she could pursue it, even though she herself was deeply affected by it. You mean like that people would criticize her for being too biased about it or? That I think it just wasn't considered like a serious field of study, yeah. you know, so it's just like one manifestation of the tension that I feel about this whole subject. Yes, it's something all women go through or most women go through. There's all these nuances and the ways it affects our lives. But I feel like in order for us to be taken seriously or as seriously as men in many spheres, we have to put it aside, if that makes sense. And, and you could argue that there's many other issues, gender issues that are more serious. But, you know, in some ways, it's so prevalent, right? I don't know. So I'm glad that we talked about it. I don't exactly have my mind completely wrapped around how I would approach it with my kids. I'm sure also they're going to be in a 
cultural context is different from us. I don't even know what gen they are. A, I think they're gen A because after Z, it goes back to A. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah. it started at X. I don't know. Uh, Generation Alpha, sorry, it's like not Alpha. So I get it. But the whole counting started at X, X, Y, Z, A. Like we never started at A a long time ago. Maybe I'm Generation K. (laughs) Children born between 2012 and 2025 are Generation Alpha. Okay, so Generation Alpha, I'm sure that they will have their own ideas and what's considered like normal and their own constructs around all of this. But I feel like at least for millennials, it's like a real tension. It's like a, it's a contradiction. Well, we've spent like the entire episode just talking about how to manage it and like how to deal with it instead of like honoring it and seeing it as sacred and special, you know, because it is actually all those things too, right? Like it really makes us unique that we can, because of these cycles, we can actually create life. Like our body grows an organ inside of us called a placenta, you know, a baby. Like it's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. At the same time, it's like when it's not doing that magical goodness, it's just like, oh, God, going to manage this thing. I think we mentioned this book before in a previous episode, but I think anybody who wants to celebrate this aspect should read Like a Mother, like celebrate being able to be a woman, have a period, get pregnant. There's just so much mystery and beauty around it. Unfortunately, the flip side of the mystery part is because there's not actually much funding historically by the NIH to support research about women's health, including pregnancy. And there's therefore, there's so much that's unknown still about women's bodies, especially the process of pregnancy and childbirth. There's so much unknown there. I don't know. It seems interesting that there's both this beauty that comes from the mystery, but also there's this aspect of, unfortunately, that mystery is because we've been historically underappreciated and under-resourced in this aspect, right? It's like two sides of the same coin. Like a Mother by Angela Garbus. Angela, who is local to Seattle. Filipino-American. Wonderful woman. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, what a discussion today. I have two insight thoughts for us to wrap up this episode. The first one's quick, okay? Pumpkin spice latte, marketing or magic? Do you think it's just this three that's been created and then Starbucks started it and then all these other like, <laughs> you know, businesses capitalize on it and do their own PL cell thing, like this thing that we've globbed onto? Or is, is it actually something really seasonal and wonderful that you look forward to and like it's just a nice triggering thing for your body to have? Okay, so anyways, PSL, marketing or magic? Why can't it be both? Exactly. So I watched this really hilarious Instagram reel. I think that went crazy viral on the internet about this like woman. She's acting out two characters. One is like the barista at a regular non-Starbucks coffee shop. Have you guys seen this one? And then the other one is like her as a customer. And then so initially her as the customer goes and she's like, and then the barista's what? I can't hear you. And then we're like, and then finally after five iterations, she's like, wait, 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 wait. The same thing happened again when you get really loud. I can't hear you. So can you bring that okay. back down to a five and yes. a half? So the lady finally, after being really embarrassed and mumbling, she finally screams, I want a pumpkin spice latte. I know I'm a basic bitch. And just thought it was hilarious and, and also slightly sad because apropos of what your question, Susan, it's that, yes, it is a marketing gimmick by Starbucks. Starbucks PSL, I don't think it's very good. Hate me, people, but I just don't think it's, it's the best PSL out there. It's very sugary. It's very sweet. So I only ever get it with two pumps if I get it. However, the Nespresso pumpkin spice like pods, they're really great. It's like coffee with a hint of the pumpkin spice, but it's not overwhelming. And there are other places that make like 
handmade pumpkin puree added to their like lattes and it's like really great. So I don't know. I think it's both. Jeanette, how about you? Convert or not? I don't know. I think I probably get on average like 0.5 pumpkin spice lattes a year. So whatever. I don't know. If you like it, you should get it. If you don't like it, don't get it. Right. I mean, I think it's like so exhausting to just like, oh, am I just getting this because of the marketing or is this because like, I like it. Like just you're getting pure Jeanette here. Just if you like it, get it. If you don't like it, don't get it. All right. Wait, now I got to go back to Kate. You said two pumps. So how many pumps do they usually do? Three? Oh, sorry. So this is for tall, right? Tall, I think they give you three. I don't remember. Whatever it is, I always reduce it by a pump. I usually get a tall. I think there are three pumps. Or maybe there are two pumps, then I only get one. But then the the problem is that because the the sweetness also has more flavor, right? So then I have to take a reduction in sweetness and a reduction in flavor, which is why I don't like ordering the PSLs at Starbucks anymore. I think just go support your local coffee shop. If they make their own, just order that one. I just want to follow you around, Kate, and you were like, this is not kabocha squash. This is actual pumpkin. What kind of a sugar pumpkin? Well, uh, let me let me go in the no, back. I don't like that. Oh my God, Susan, you make me sound like I'm a crazy person. I, I'm not like that all the time, just some of the time. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. All right. So my actual, my second inside thought was we're upon the fall and winter season. What is your dish that really feels like fall and winter, like a stew or a soup that you make or a certain, you know, thing that happens, either Thanksgiving or whatever, where you're just like, man, that that's it for me. So for me, I have this Cook's Illustrated cookbook and there's just like a beef stew and it's made out of chuck, beef chuck. And so we get it from Costco. I do the whole thing, put a little wine in it, pearl onions, put in some frozen peas at the end. You've got potatoes and carrots and it's just like the most comforting thing and I hate I hate it when it gets cold like I always run cold so when it's so cold outside it makes me very irritable but it gives me this opportunity to eat this very hearty stew I love it I'm waiting for it to get kind of cold and then I'm going to go to Costco and make a big giant batch I can't wait so that's what I look forward to is this one iconic beef stew from Cook's Illustrated what about you well the thing that came to mind is I like to make a little soup with like a broth that um, has, and it's made from dried anchovies, which I get from H Mart. And I usually put in half an onion or some daikon radish, and you just boil that, uh, simmer it for maybe half an hour to 45 minutes, and you take all of it out. And then you put in a little bit of soy sauce and then put in the udon noodles with fish cakes or a little shrimp or tofu. That's kind of like our go-to cold weather dish right now. It's a lot of umami, kind of salty, and my kids like everything in it. They'll eat all of it, so it's our thing. My salivatory glands are like on fire right now. I'm like, mm, invite me over next time. <laughs> How about you, Kate? By the way, I really like the thought of your stew, Susan. Can I have some? I guess there's this chili dish that I make. That the kids really like yeah. and that Nero really likes. It's like a New York Times cooking Chicken, recipe. Turkey, beef. Well, the recipe says turkey, but if sometimes I just use beef. And yeah, I think it just hits all those. It has meat, it has beans. It's pretty healthy. It's got vegetables. The nice thing is it's like a little bar, so you can add your own toppings to, which I think the kids really like. And these days I'm all about one pot meals. If it involves more than one pot, I'm not going to cook it. So yeah, I think we could post these recipes, guys. We should post the links if they exist as links. Yeah, awesome. I would I would have to write my own recipe. I don't know if I can do that. I'm not going to commit to it. <laughs> okay. No work. No work. 
No work, no fun. All right. Pumpkin spice you later, ladies. Bye. Bye. We hope you found something helpful, reassuring, or interesting in this episode of Model Minority Moms. If you enjoyed the episode, please help us spread the word by texting a friend about our show or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to connect with us, please visit our website at modelminoritymoms.com or follow us on Instagram where we love receiving messages from our listeners.